Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew 24. And uh, we are in our next to last week in this series. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have greatly been challenged and enjoyed this study in Matthew 24. It has uh, challenged me theologically. It's challenged me in my study. By no means has this been an easy series, which is a good thing. If uh, all we ever talk about is the easy stuff, then we are not going to grow to become more like Jesus. So uh, I'm really thankful for the time we've had in Matthew 24. And uh, I hope that this has been equipping for you um, because uh, these are all impactful passages when it comes to how we're to live and to act as followers of Christ. And uh, today specifically, we're going to look at verses 32 through 35 which Jesus gives an illustration here, and there's a lot, there's so much rich application in this in this section of scripture. But as we begin to think about that, <clears throat> and even thinking towards what we're going to read in uh, verses 32 through 35, um, Jesus uses the illustration of a tree that is beginning to leaf, beginning to bud. And so I'm curious just to see where where you all are at. Um, I want to know what your favorite season is. So, how many of you would say you're spring people? Your favorite season is spring. Oh, quite a few of you, okay. How many of you would say summer? Oh, summer, all the warm people. Give me that warmth. Brandon's like, yes, me! <laughs> how many of you would say Fall. Fall, that's mine. My favorite is fall. I, that's my favorite season. And, uh, alright, now, who are our rebels? Is anyone's favorite season winter? No! <laughs> oh, sorry, Betty, I missed your hand. Right there. I'm so excited, I have at least one. Oh, but, oh, two! Excellent! See, I'm just missing seeing you guys. Okay. Now, what, as you think about that, I want you to think about what it is about that season that you love. Okay? There's, there's always something. And it, it honestly usually goes beyond just the weather. There's other aspects as to what makes you just say, this is the season that I love. Whether it's uh, activities or whether it is uh, what you get to do during that sp- a specific season or the colors or if it's spring you everything greens up maybe you like uh maybe you just love to mow all right and so when some of you are going nah, i don't know i'm gonna be honest i'm one of those people i look forward to that but it's uh it, it, whatever it is what is it about that season <clears throat> but then the, the other thing i want you to think about is how do you know when that season is coming and there's usually signs right leading up to it. And uh, 
I think the hardest of those tends to be spring because it kind of teases you, right? We had that one week where it was in the 70s, and now this week we're expecting snow again, and there's like two days where it lows back in the 20s again, and you're going, no, not third winter. Anyway, what is it that you look for? Spring, it's new life, right? You start to see things green up. You see those uh, perennial flowers start to bloom and, and, and sprout out of the ground. Summer, it's the shift in temperature. Things begin to get warm. And uh, fall, you start to see things shift and change. And then when you get to winter, maybe it's that first snowfall to go, yes, winter is here. The reason I bring this up is because Jesus uses a similar illustration of shifting and changing here in Matthew 24. And what that's to bring about is an awareness and a readiness for what's coming. And it's a visual image that I want you to picture with me. I'm going to read in verse 32 through 35. We're going to pray and then I'm just going to unpack this in the time we have left together Um, A little more. So in verse 32 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Father, as we take these few verses and unpack them together, may you equip us to be the church you've called us to be, to be a people who yearns for you, who seeks after you for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as Jesus is teaching this, he's teaching to whom? We've been going over this every week. Who's he talking to here? Disciples. Everyone say disciples. Okay, he's talking to his disciples and the questions they specifically asked him in Matthew 24, verse 3, um, make the transition into everything he says after that follow suit. And if you haven't read uh, Matthew 24, Uh, I encourage you to do that before we finish up this series to get the whole scope of what Jesus is saying here. Um, But in verses 32 and 33, really in summary of those couple of verses, there's this illustration of as the tree buds, so will be the coming of Jesus. It's an encouragement specifically to his disciples and those future beneficiaries of their ministry, the ministry of the disciples, that through trial, through hardship, through everything that's happening, everything that's changing, everything that's going on, summer is coming. Ultimately, Jesus is coming. Now, I'm going to direct your attention to Psalm 30 as an accent of this. Psalm chapter 30. And this is a psalm of David. And it was actually a song that would have been sung at the dedication of the temple. Okay? And in Psalm 30, David writes these words, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up 
my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now, verse 3 right there in Psalm 30, that should be a statement that we echo as followers of Christ in response to the same motivation as the psalmist. That the Lord has brought me up out of Sheol. You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His old holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy. Everyone say joy. Joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. I boxed that in my own Bible because I went, man, I can do that, can't I? That it, when things are well, when I when I'm, feel like I'm prosperous, I, I just start to have this self-confidence like, oh man, I'm, I'm not going to be moved. Things are good. By your favor, O oh Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. But then there's a shift here. To you, O oh Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And if you're one who writes in your Bible, I encourage you to either box or underline 11 and 12 in Psalm 30 and even make a notation next to that that simply says this should describe us as the church. That we should be able to say every single day, Lord, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. How does this correlate back to Matthew 24? Well, at the root of this, how is it that our mourning can be dancing? How is it that the Lord has clothed me with gladness? How is it that I can sing of your praise and not be silent? How is it that I can give thanks to the Lord forever in any circumstance whatsoever? And it comes back to that simple reminder that this is temporary, but that which is coming is eternal. And the fig tree gives that example. Ultimately, it's this example of when you start to see it change. When you start to see the shifts take place. Take heart. Be encouraged because summer is near. Jesus is coming. So also when you see these things, this is Matthew twenty four thirty three. you know, everyone say no. You know that he is near at the very gates. Now, the second verse here, honestly, is a challenging one in verse 34, where Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And there's much debate over who is Jesus talking about? What generation is he speaking of here? Because he's talking to the disciples. And so there's many who interpret this and say, well, since he's speaking to the disciples, he's speaking to their generation of which we'll see the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Okay, 
There's also another frame of thought that says, well, wait a minute. If we look at the broader context where Jesus has just in verse 15 on of Matthew 24 talked about the abomination of desolation. He's talked about um, the, the great tribulation that's going to take place and these people who are going to come to faith and that the Lord will gather those people to himself. And they think, well, that, that seems to be more in times, within the tribulation period. And so Jesus, flowing from that frame of thought, is speaking specifically about the generation who is present when all of this takes place. Here's the emphasis of Jesus' words throughout this text. Because it's dangerous. Okay, everyone say dangerous. It's dangerous for us to just take that one verse out of the hole that Jesus is, say, is talking about. That would be like you guys taking one sentence out of my message to you this morning and going to someone and saying, oh yeah, the whole sermon was about this one sentence. And it's out of context and people don't really understand what, what the point of that is, okay? But when we look at the scope of this, Jesus is simply revealing the reality that For those who are present, when this is all taking place, this is going to happen quickly. And as we've talked about in the past, there's not going to be this wondering of, is this it? Is is that the... Is, is this really happening? There's not going to be a question of people saying, oh, the end is, the end is now within this amount of days. Okay? And I will tell you over and over and over again, church, if anyone comes to you and says, I've figured it out, I know the day. Even if they say, I have a rough estimate on the day I think Jesus is going to return. You run. You turn and you go the other way because no one knows. And we're going to talk about that next week as we finish out this series. Right after this, Jesus tells them, no one knows the day or the hour. But what we can rest assured in, as we talked about last week, God is sovereign over all of this. He knows. He is seeing all of this through and his plan will prevail. And so for the generation that sees all of these things unfold and take place, it's going to be clear. It's going to happen. Just as when the tree begins to bud, it's inevitable. Summer is near. New life is coming. So also for the generation, all these things will will happen Amongst them, okay? All, everything Jesus has talked about will happen amongst them, leading ultimately up to Jesus' reign on earth. Verse 35 can be summarized just this simply. The word of the Lord lasts. In verse 35, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, a little note here. Some people could read this and go, well, what do you mean heaven will pass away? What is that about? Well, in the Greek language, the word for heaven is the same word for sky. Okay, so in the same way, when we read Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. It's specifically speaking about the sky, the universe, that which is above. So when Jesus is saying heaven and earth will pass away, he's not somehow referring to that eternity with God will pass away. That's not what this is talking about. Rather, he's identifying everything you see around you will pass away, but my words will not. Everyone say not. Will not pass away. 
And there's several passages we can go to to emphasize this. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand, how long? Forever. I'm going to say forever. Isaiah 51, 6 says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. And Isaiah, there's writing to the nation of Israel. And he's trying to get them to understand Israel, God's chosen people, these things of the Lord are not going to pass away. But all of this that you're focusing your attention on is going to pass away. And that application carries right to us right now, right here, today. 1 Peter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then... The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, the words of Jesus will not pass away. In Hebrews 12, you can jot this down. I've got it between two slides here, but Hebrews 12, 25 through 29 The writer of Hebrews says, see that you do do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken That is, things that have been made in order, get this, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Have you ever thought about that? And when, when I read this verse, I picture sifting rock or sifting dirt and sand and you sifts out so that you end up with what remains on the surface. And in the same way, God's promised in Scripture that all of this is going to get shook up. And you may be looking around and going, it seems like there's a lot of shaking going on right now. And that's true, because God has been faithful, church, to shake things up from the beginning of time, to draw people ultimately back to that which lasts, and that which remains. And the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 come to this reality that heaven and earth, all the things you see are going to pass away, but the word of the Lord will not pass away. And the next section, 28 and 29 of Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God Acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And I love verses 28 and 29 there, because it's so practical for us. 
That we would be grateful that we, as followers of Jesus, have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken, no matter how much the rest of the world is sifted. And it's because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken that we worship with reverence and awe of who he is. So where does the rubber meet the road on this, church? Simple application, and yet very challenging to live out. Assurance comes in Christ. Assurance comes in Christ. The reality is we tend to find our assurance in anything and everything but Jesus. It's so easy, isn't it? To find our assurance in something that's tangible right here and now. It's so easy to hang on to that which we can physically grab hold of. And yet there's this aspect of faith that we're called to in Christ where we go, Lord, I have no idea what you are doing. And you know what? I'm convinced as followers of Jesus that is exactly where God wants us to be. Because when we have no idea what he's doing, It requires that we have faith in who he is and what we know he's already done in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I have full assurance of this. That assurance comes in Christ. So, practically speaking, if we find assurance in Christ, this is a good gauge for us. If we find assurance in Christ, prayer becomes the first step, not the last resort. If we find assurance in Christ, hope and joy are not contingent on circumstances or emotions. Why? Because my hope and joy are not rooted in transient things that can be shaken. And if I struggle with that, if I struggle with a sense of hope or joy, and note here, I did not say happiness. Right? Because we can have hope and joy in the midst of great sorrow. In Christ. But if my assurance is in Him, then those things are not contingent on the circumstances around me or the emotions I feel because I know it's secure. If we find assurance in Christ, nothing, everyone say nothing, nothing I face here is bigger than the God I serve. If my assurance is in Christ. And lastly, if we find assurance in Christ, heaven and earth can pass away, but my eternity is secure. And that's Jesus' words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Praise the Lord for that. Now, as we close this time together, I want you to turn to Psalm 130 with me. And what I'm going to do is I want to read this psalm and then I want you to keep your Bibles open. And I'm going to I'm going to sing most of a song that's actually written. It's a modern day hymn that's written from Psalm 130 directly. And my prayer is, as we think about this, that we will consider our call to wait for the Lord. And that's really going to be the theme of this week and next week is that we would wait. We would anticipate That we would long for the return of Christ, but we would do it actively. 
In Psalm 130, verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Father, as we wait for You, may we do so with a confidence and assurance given to us in Jesus. That everything around us can pass away, but our security in Him will never fade. We pray this in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks for taking the time to listen today. Every time we open God's Word together, our prayer is that the Spirit of God would convict, challenge, and cultivate the listener in a way that moves them from where they are towards where God wants them to be. And as part of this, we have staff and volunteers available to pray for and with you. We have multiple opportunities for further growth and care from birth all the way into adulthood. So if you're feeling pushed to dive deeper and you aren't sure where to begin, give us a call at 647-4278 or email us at office at cantonefree.com. If you're interested in more than just audio, you can find full video of this message and more along with additional resources at our website, cantonefc.com. Thanks again for listening. Know you are loved and we pray God's blessing over you for 2021.